0: Welcome back to Ghostbusters Minute. Ghostbusters Minute is the fan podcast that chronicles and overanalyzes the classic 1984 film Ghostbusters Minute by Minute. I'm Kyle. I'm Brady. And today we are joined by a very special guest. We talked about him a little bit in yesterday's episode, but uh, he's a dear friend of mine and a guy you might know from some real Ghostbusters recaps on YouTube. Uh, Sean Buckley. Sean, welcome to the show.
1: Howdy, and very special. That makes me very self-conscious. Well, you're very
0: special. Hey, you you live up to it. We wouldn't say it if you couldn't live up to it. And, That's right. Uh, we're really excited to have you on here because uh, you know you are a huge Ghostbusters fan. You do these awesome, real Ghostbusters recaps on YouTube that maybe some of our audience has seen. But uh, just to, I I know you personally, but just to get a little bit of background on who you are, uh, you, just tell us who is Sean Buckley.
1: I'm a, I'm this super nerd who met Kyle years ago, writing for a, a, a Nintendo fan site called Infendo, which which distracted me completely from going to school and college, and somehow evolved into me uh, eventually writing for sites like Engadget and Gizmodo, and um, so I write about things, like a nerd, nerdy things, and then and then I go to YouTube, and I make stupid YouTube videos about them, and one of those things is Ghostbusters, because, <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like, I didn't even have... Ghostbusters on TV when I was a kid but I got hooked on the cartoon in the series and it's kind of stuck with me ever since.
0: So your introduction to Ghostbusters was the Ghostbusters actual live action film or was it the real Ghostbusters cartoon?
1: It's like so far back I can't remember like yeah. I remember seeing like pieces of the cartoon but we didn't have whatever channel that came on you know because broadcast TV for people that remember how that works like, sometimes you just didn't get it.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it was weird. Brady and I, we did a, a special Patreon episode where we recapped a few episodes of the real Ghostbusters cartoon. We did the, the episodes Knock Knock and Ghost or Us, and rewatching your videos, I wasn't aware that there were actually two production units running at the same time for the show.
1: Oh yeah, I only learned that in the last couple of years myself. In fact, uh, if you, my videos are, are direct recaps of the videos, and if you want to check those out, that's Shaunicus with two Cs on YouTube. But there's this other guy um, whose name I can't remember for for the life of me a second, who does this whole, like if you search the worst episodes he has this great recap of the two production runs and where it went wrong and where the studio came in and messed everything up and uh, it's it's just like this really fascinating kind of history of, of the studio's animation and um, it, I think my first exposure was the cartoon because I remember watching the movie when I was a kid and being young enough that I couldn't tell the difference between Bill Murray and uh, Dan Aykroyd because Dan Aykroyd had a little bit um, was a little thinner, and so I yeah. kept thinking Bill Murray must be Ray, who was my favorite character on the cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but of course he wasn't, so I, I had a hard time, and I didn't even realize it was a comedy when I was a kid. I was so young.
0: Yeah, it's 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 weird because it does such a great job now. While watching it when we're older, of mixing both comedy and horror at the same time. But you know, when you're younger, things might like spook you a little bit easier. And it seems like uh, some of the stuff. I'm watching it now and saying like, okay, this is where the comedy split is. This is where the horror split is. But the minutes we're actually going to be reviewing with you, Sean, actually do a pretty good job of mixing in both of those elements.
2: Yeah, it does get you know much more adult, much more human in this era, in this point in the film, where you have like like the Environmental Protection Agency. That's something that. A kid's movie is not going to have. So, you were right oh, to yeah. think that it was like not so much a comedy in every right. It was, uh, it, it gets into some really adult, uh, stuff. And that's one of the things I love about this
1: movie. Is there's, there's so much of that to the effect that when I was too young to get the jokes that are aimed at the adults, I just thought it was a straight adventure horror film. And then I rewatched yeah. it. Like, as a teenager, I'm like, wow, this movie was really funny. Did, did I, was this always a funny <laughs> movie? And it, it like, it like reopened the movie for me. As a kid, it was just like, these are heroes and I love them. And then when I became an adult, it's like, oh, these guys are amazing, and then I discovered uh, Stripes and all the other uh, Ramus and uh, Murray projects that were just amazing. Yeah,
2: it, it does hit on new levels as you age, and oh, as yeah. you mature, you're going to start seeing uh, being entertained by a lot of the stuff that's, um, I don't know, the kind of more adult humor that's just under the surface of a movie about, like you said, the adventure, and about heroes and everything like that, so this movie is appealing to several different generations in its own way. It's for them. You know. When we had uh,
0: screenwriter Mark Landry on as a special guest, I think he even said that his knowledge of the universe kind of grew as Ghostbusters grew. So, you know, jokes like the menstruation joke that comes earlier in the episode, he just kind of accepted that as, like, okay, this is supposed to be a joke, but as he grew and learned what menstruation was, his growth and knowledge of the universe kind of expanded with Ghostbusters. So uh, yeah, that's it's one weird. of those things that you grow up with, but you also kind of grow with it. You know, you oh, yeah. grow into it. So.
1: I, and I think it's great because that probably wasn't super intentional. It was it was just the style of comedy and writing that they had. Yeah. But it, it was just an incredible match. I think I think. Uh, I can't remember Ray's real name, Dan
0: Aykroyd,
1: Dan Aykroyd, yeah. Dan Aykroyd is a, is a crazy man. Uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> but like, I think his love of weirdness and occult uh, mixed with the comedy writing, just it was just this wonderful accident.
2: Yeah, and it, it's you know it gives him such a childlike quality, which carries over to uh, the Ray and the cartoon and the animated oh, yeah. series. It's just and like I,
1: I think if that wasn't present in the series for both the film and the
2: movie, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, uh, Ray's stance is Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to a definite degree, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. All right, well, hey, if you guys are ready, we can go ahead and jump on into our overanalyzation of minute number sixty-six here. Now, in the previous minute, we saw the arrival of Walter Peck. EPA agent, to the Ghostbusters firehouse with his intent on shutting things down. At minute number 66, Walter Peck has his finger in Egon's face, and Walter Peck is waving that finger around and telling Egon what's going to happen. Walter Peck has told Egon that he is in violation of at least half a dozen environmental laws. As he scolds Egon, Vince Clortho mimics his mannerisms. At 6606, Peter Venkman has arrived at the headquarters by taxi. At 6611, we cut back to the basement of the Ghostbusters headquarters where Egon, Vince, and Janine are guarding the containment unit. Egon tells Walter Peck that it is a high-voltage laser containment system, and that he goes on to tell them that turning it off would be the equivalent of dropping a bomb on the city. Walter Peck tells Egon not to patronize him. At 66.17, Peter Bankman descends the staircase to the basement and says, At ease, officer. Bankman tries to de-escalate, de-escalate the situation by telling the officer that there has been a misunderstanding and that he wants to cooperate in any way that he can. At 66.30, Peck tells Bankman to forget about it because he had his chance to cooperate, but instead he, incho- he chose to assault Walter Peck. At 66:36, Bankman tells Peck that if he shuts down the protection grid, the Ghostbusters will not be held responsible for whatever happens. At 66:42, Walter Peck tells the utility specialist to shut off the grid. Bankman tells him not to. At 66:46, the Venkman, the excuse me, the utility specialist tells Walter Peck that he has never seen anything like the grid before. At 66:51, Peck tells the utility specialist that he isn't interested in his opinion and just wants him to shut the machine off. At 66.55, Vankman steps in front of the utility specialist and tells him not to be a jerk. The police officer in attendance moves Vankman out of the way as Walter Peck tells him that he is allowed to shoot Vankman if he interferes again. At 66.58, the police officer tells Walter Peck to stick to his job. Now, that will, re- that will finish up minute number 66 here. I don't think that Walter Peck has the authority to tell the police officer who to shoot and who not to shoot. Uh, in a situation like this.
1: There's a lot of things Peck does in this scene that doesn't make any sense, and can I just say, man, after hearing you read it, this is such a dense scene.
0: It really is, yeah, in fact, these minutes, yeah, there's a lot, I'm glad you came on for these minutes, because there really is a lot, there's a lot of dialogue, a lot to unpack in that dialogue, and then the minutes that are going to follow up here, uh, we actually have a lot of effects shots, and it really kind of gets the end, the final act of the movie moving forward. But in this particular moment, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, hey, this is a laser containment system. The, you know, uh, Con Edison employees, like, I haven't seen anything like this before. But, uh, Sean, when you went back and watched this, what was it that, that stuck out to you uh, in this minute?
1: Well, I, I've, I have notes for a couple of things, and I'll get to some of the smaller fun things uh, in a minute. But since sure. we're talking about Peck anyway, like... This is sort of the ultimate scene in the movie that shows that Peck is a complete tool. I mean, you've yeah. got this—you got the this city worker, and he's got you know the city worker in the blue helmet, and he's he kind of backs the Ghostbusters up and says, "Hey, man, I don't know if this is safe. I've never seen anything like this before." And so <laughs> Peck looks at him and is like, "Look here, city official, who I brought on to make sure whatever I'm shutting down is shut down in a proper, environmentally friendly manner. I'm not interested in the professional opinion I hired you to have."
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Peck goes from like. Having a, you know, legitimate reason to want to investigate the Ghostbusters and all that, I mean, he's completely within his right to, uh, you know, the scene when he's in the mayor's office and he's saying that they caused the explosion, he's straight up lying. He's the guy who ordered the, the containment grid shut down and caused the apocalypse and he's trying to put it off on someone else now. So he yeah, you're right, he does go from like being a a tool to an even bigger tool. So
1: Right, like initially in the movie he's just when he first shows up, he's, you know, he's a bit of a prick because mm-hmm. that's his character, but he's just doing his job, you know. Say, so, yeah. hey, I want to see if we're on the up and up. But honestly, if if Peter uh co- cooperated in the beginning of the movie, everything probably would have been fine. He would have been like, "All right, I don't really know what this is, but your permits are in order. Great. Good job." Because I'm sure Egon has that squared away. He's a genius. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know but instead he gets he gets self righteous and self righteousness is this incredible like, flaw, and, like, this is, the, like, self-righteousness is the biggest problem I have with most, most people who, are like, I see, it's like, man, you're a self-righteous dick, and that's that's making you unreasonable, and that's, that's what he's basically being here, he knows he's right, so nothing matters, even a city official that he hired to do this for him, being like, I don't know if this is safe to shut down, maybe we should, you know, like, he was probably, yeah, he didn't actually suggest this, but a reasonable situation was like, let's arrest them and have them stop business while we come in and investigate this, but instead right. yeah. he's like, nah, just don't think about it, just shut it down.
0: Yeah, yeah, and every warning sign given by this guy who you was know, like, hey, I have never seen anything like this before. Like, you're putting all of us in danger. You're putting the city in danger because of your self-righteous humorous. <laughs>
1: right, like, and I think maybe it's a sign of when this movie was made. I think maybe today, if the movie was made, he wouldn't have uh, shut it down. He would have been like, no, ma- no way, man, I don't want this on my hands. And Peck would have shut it down, which would have yeah. put more focus on his character. But yeah. instead, it's like very much this guy in New York City like, I don't want to get fired. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's he's like a Pontius Pilate character almost. He's kind of oh, yeah. like well, I'm washing my hands of the situation. I'm gonna pull yeah. this lever because the higher up is telling me to. But I've uh, never
2: seen anything uh, like this. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah.
0: So uh, yeah, that guy. Like I, for, for the longest time, I had convinced myself that that was actually Andy, a young Andy Dick. He's a guy named Larry Dild, uh, and he just uh, looks like him and really didn't do a whole lot of work beyond this. But the way he plays it off, he's just kind of this meek little, you know, kind of like Sean, like you were saying, like he's showing his specialist side, but like, you know, kind of being meek and being like, well, I don't know, I don't want to lose my job.
1: You're right, I really feel like I feel extremely, I feel more sympathy for him than almost anyone else in the movie because he's just, yeah. he's like, now he's got to live with the guilt of this. Like he was like when it, you know, he the later he's like at home watching the news and the stay puff marshmallow. I was like, Oh gosh, I shouldn't have pulled that <laughs> lever.
0: I, if I was him, I'd go into hiding. And yeah, some, he ends like, up like relocating to Kansas or <laughs> some New York bar and just like drown my sorrows as the city falls apart. Drowns. I mean, like
1: th- this is this is the one the one instance where things don't roll downhill and things actually focus on Peck. Like he's not in the mayor's office later. Nobody's blaming him for it. He gets away. He's so lucky because
0: he <laughs> yeah. pulled the lever. <laughs> An unwitting tool in this whole thing, just you right. know, part of the system.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of nice that nobody's blaming him. I just feel so bad for him.
0: Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't—I had never heard of Con Edison before. Like you know, it's—it's it's on his hat and everything. And you know, reading the script, he wasn't in, uh, referred to as a. When uh,
2: uh, Janine is outside saying we're going out of business, behind her is like all the Con Edison yeah. signage and everything that's serving. Yeah, I was
1: trying to find. You found something about them? I, I was googling them. I couldn't find out who they were.
2: I did. Yeah. So it's the electric company that
0: services New York City. And when I thought about it for a second, it was electric Edison. I'm like, do they actually have anything involved with uh, Thomas Edison? But uh, their electric business actually makes, dates back to 1882 when Thomas Edison's uh, Edison Illuminating Company of New York Ah. began supplying electricity to 59 customers in a square mile area uh, of lower Manhattan. So they do have an actual link back to Thomas Edison, but I couldn't find where the the business side went from Thomas Edison Electric Company to Consolidated Edison Electric Company as they run now. But I I have to say, I loved the lettering on his hat. Like, I had to look at that font for a little while, and I'm like, this is such a great use of, like, the, you know, uh, aerial font uh, on the hat which you see all over New York like in their subway system is that Ariel am I right or is it uh it's not I'm it not, not sure not? I, I think it is but the, the the font looks so great but you see it like all over New York but um yeah I, I, I love that guy I love his the portrayal of kind of how meek and how he's just kind of like as soon as he walks into the the Ghostbusters firehouse he's just kind of looking around and, like aghast of like you know oh my god this is you know everything's running on this weird kind of like uh, proprietary system that Egon created because as he says when they go to find the, uh, the the firehouse before they make the purchase of it, he says that the electrical building, uh, the electrical work in the entire building is going to have to be like rewired from scratch.
1: Oh, yeah. Insufficient for our power needs. He exactly. Said. Yeah. yeah. Those power right. needs
0: have to be, you know, oh. <laughs> extremely sufficient for what they have going on there.
1: You know, that actually makes sense. And I'll get I'll get into this in, in uh, I think the next episode when something explodes that adds that adds up to that. Ah, okay. Uh, So one more thing about this Con Edison thing. I think, I'm not 100% sure, but I think this is also a movie in the era before all the laws were in place about product placement, and you could just show something in a movie without getting sued about it.
0: Ah, okay. So maybe they just were able to find a Con Edison helmet and use it.
1: So they just wanted to portray that because it was authentic. I think today they would have to get permission from an electric company and pay a fee or get them to pay a fee to begin the movie. Because these days, you notice if you watch a movie, they're always covering the Coke cans label. It's obvious it's a Coke, but they can't show the logo. Times
0: were, were easier. Yeah.
1: Yeah, in old times you didn't have to do that, and you would see this stuff all over the place, and nobody cared because it was free advertising. So simpler times, go. That's by. that's
0: almost maybe a meta uh, statement on the what Ivan Reitman was trying to say with like business deregulation and how he felt about that, that. Maybe they could get away with a lot of stuff back then. That you know because what you're saying the licensing agreements now it would have to be so difficult to do. Uh, I don't I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's that's a great observation. I think, like, now they would probably just have a guy with a hat on. This is, like, New York Electric Company or something.
1: Right, like or it wouldn't even say anything. It would just be assumed. Like, I never, as a kid, I never noticed the writing on the hat, and I just assumed, ah, he works for the city.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I never put two and two together until, actually, I was reading up on his actual title in the script as Con Edison Employee. So it was actually written into the script like that. But
1: it's It seems funny that they needed to bring in an, a person from the electric company to pull the circuit breaker switch.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> kind uh, of so, when uh, Walter Peck was putting together the list of different divisions, he had to go through uh, to get all this stuff. You know, he pulls out the uh, you know like seizure of uh, chattels and premises and all that. There was one I think it was like a use of public uh, utilities that he would have to go through an extensive background, uh, excuse, extensive like checks and balances to get the New York Power. Uh, uh, system to to check off on that, so it's oh, uh, it's weird that New York, you know, I mean, every town does it. They, they regulate their own energy use, but then private companies, uh, you know, go about the actual servicing of that stuff. So it's,
2: it's interesting, interesting that, that um they, they do, do have so man. a lot
0: of they,
1: peck talk. There's a couple other things in this scene that I don't think we want to miss out on.
2: Yeah, uh, it's interesting that um they do go with like an actual you know uh, electricity company like you were talking about, the Con Edison, um, and also earlier in the movie they use an actual real estate service, a real estate company. Um, so I just think it's neat that this movie's like. That's using, really yeah, 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 using those things it to gives, give it that, it that level that authenticity of authenticity
0: to this movie that uh, that they really strive for.
1: Well, they did actually shoot it in New York because it wasn't mm-hmm. as expensive to do it in those days. Right. You, yeah. You just can't do it now.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's why I think in Ghostbusters 2016 they ended up like shooting in Boston because of the you know there's I think Boston Massachusetts might have a better tax film uh, credit thing too. So, but uh, but yeah, we well, got anything else for this minute?
1: Yes, one more thing. Sure. Uh, before we move on, this scene is a really good example of the acting treasure that Rick Moranis is.
0: Oh my god, isn't it? He's doing such great
2: Completely. non-dialogue, like physical stuff.
1: <laughs> right, he's like... He's and, not, and not
2: eating up the screen at the same time.
1: Yeah. He's not even narratively necessary for the screen, like for this scene, but it's, it's a treasure that he's in it. It's wonderful. Like he's he's Like, he's miming everybody, pointing yeah. and... Oh, it's great.
0: And whenever they go to cover the containment unit, you know, with the Walter Peck and the Con Edison employer moving in on it, he's like, it just, he's looking at them, like you're saying, he's mimicking them. Yeah. He's looking at what they're doing, he's like, okay, I need to be, like, having my arms out here. Which is funny, because we, we talked about in a previous minute uh, that Vince Clortho doesn't seem to be as evil of an entity as Zul does. Zul is there to, to usher in the coming of Gozer, but Vince is kind of like this... He's kind of this happy-go-lucky dude, you know. He has his mission statement, but he doesn't mind hanging out with Egon and Jean and just kind of playing along and just smearing pizza on his face and stuff like that. Oh
1: yeah, so, uh, he's yeah, like, he, he's like not all together there. He's sort of like, like, like Gozer's idiot best friend exactly
0: yeah. yeah it's like you know oh i've got zol who's my you know hand lieutenant but vince Clortho is kind of just oh yeah he's my cousin you know he's not quite bright but he's a good guy so we're, we're gonna give him a high-paying job he's Eric. a good boy yeah he, he could do the work and i trust him exactly yeah he yeah. means well poor thing but yeah <laughs> all right great well brady you got anything else for this minute that's it, it for me, me. Uh, the only one thing I have is just a note that I, I came across uh, watching this is that Sandra Bernhard orig- was the original uh, actress who was going to play Janine before Annie Potts was hired. And, oh, uh, weird! I you know I I think Annie Potts does such great work in this movie, but it would have been interesting to see Sandra Bernhard in this because she's a very like New York actress, you know. Like
1: that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I had no idea.
0: Well, I guess I got to kind of wrap up minute number 66, so uh, we're going to move on tomorrow to minute number 67 where Sean is going to join us again. But uh, Sean, just real quick, can you recap again where it is people can find you on the internet if you're looking for more of your work?
1: If you want to find me on the internet or on Xbox or PlayStation or Nintendo or any of that, you can find me as Seanicus, S-E-A-N-I-C-C-U-S. Seanicus with two T's on everything. If you see another one, it's probably
0: me. <laughs> awesome. All right, great. Well, we'll be back tomorrow for Minute Number 67. For Sean, for Brady, and myself, we're here to remind you that death is but a door, time a window. We'll be back.
2: Ghostbusters Minute is a fan-supported podcast. To become a patron of Ghostbusters Minute and gain access to exclusive weekly bonus content, visit us at patreon.com slash gbminutes. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at ghostbustersminute at gmail.com and visit us online at ghostbustersminute.com. Facebook.com slash Ghostbusters Minute, Twitter.com slash GB Minute, and look us up on Instagram at Ghostbusters Minute. Our theme song is Ectoplasm by Audio Nautics, which is licensed under the Creative Commons Attributions License.